On the first day of the week, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? Please be seated. This morning, we walk with two of Jesus' disciples. It's not a short walk either, seven miles, the gospel tells us. That's good news for all of us today because we have plenty of time to consider what is actually happening here. We need that extra time too. As I suspect that many of us, having heard this particular story many times, likely skimmed right through it in our brains. We know this story. Walking disciples, the ones that don't even recognize Jesus, they're sad, maybe even a little bit put off by their ignorant traveling companion, the one that awkwardly joined their conversation without invitation, the one that listened to the growing crescendo of their desperation right before mansplaining their entire theology to them, a conversation that stretched itself into dinner and then just poof. Jesus disappears, and in that exact moment, the disciples finally realized who he was and couldn't help but tell everyone, even returning to the place that they had left with some haste. So, now we all know what we're supposed to do too, I guess. Thanks, Jesus. There's always a risk in familiar biblical text. The familiar has a numbing quality. Familiarity has a way of replacing our curiosity with assumptions that feel like fact, creating an inner dialogue that tells us how much we already know, so much so that we lose sight of what is happening, and our logical conclusions tend to go unchallenged. And it's in that space that I believe we lose sight of God, leaving us languishing in the chorus of the disenchanted where we lift our litany of concerns to anyone, to everyone, even to the unrecognized. Sound familiar? This is why I'm no longer able to see this gospel reading as a story about God breaking through my unbelief or how God refocuses me on my call to share the story of God's presence in my life or even how I discover God's presence in the breaking of bread because those stories are too familiar to me. Today, I'm reminded that the gospel is not a story about us. It has nothing to do with me or you, but rather it is a story about God's love for us, a story of God's connection and work through God's creation in the most unexpected of ways. And that can present some challenges for us. Because when we disengage from the familiar, all that remains here today is the real, gritty honesty of our life. 
And when you recognize that, the truth is, we all know that the disciples got it right. As they raised their shock and concerns, how could they have recognized Jesus? How could they have recognized our Savior through the tears that must have filled their own eyes? We all know that on any given day, there are more than enough concerns for all of us to process. More than enough ugliness that we wish wasn't our reality. Wars, uprisings in defiance of systems and legislation that deny human dignity. Environmental degradation. Continued senseless deaths as a result of our inaction. Broken relationships and fractured families. Like the disciples... We, too, have our litany of concerns that often lead us to despair. And in our own rage, in our own sadness, through the tears that fill our own eyes, don't we lose sight of Jesus, too? The reality is that the disciples did. And we often can feel as though we are sinking in the grief of our reality. The weight of that truth can sometimes leave us wondering what to do about our concerns. Someone should do something. And if this is what you are feeling today, then I invite you to hear again the question Jesus raised and see it as an invitation that is here for us even now. When Jesus asked, what are you talking about? This was the moment the moment that the disciples finally had the opportunity to speak their pain out loud. And where do we find Jesus? Walking, listening, conversing, feeding. Jesus shares in acts of kindness. And then, then Jesus leaves them to practice our ministry, loosed from the bonds that held them, open to a new possibility, a clear vision of a call to spread God's love, not in word, but by doing the same things that had been done for them. We can do this too, my friends. We can choose not to be overwhelmed by all that seems broken, but we're only able to do this when we are honest and make spaces for our grief, our questions and conversations that allow us to take the next step and then the next step until we discover our ability to heal with God. This Saturday morning, I got to witness this as I joined our youth on their Earth Day hike. In the chaos that always accompanies any gathering of this sort, one conversation captured my attention. One of our kids was checking in with their parents about the number of bags that they had brought with them. I was amused by this strange conversation and by how gentle the child's parents were as they pulled out bags one by one, assuring their child that they had brought everything that we would need. I'm sure you've already figured this out, but sometimes I just don't get it. Despite all I was witnessing, I was left confused as to what was going to happen with these plastic bags. As far as I understood, we were doing a simple nature walk to recognize Earth Day. But then we started walking. To my shock, 
There was no conversation or amazement about the beauty of our surroundings or the smell of honeysuckle in the air. No, the squeals of delight only came at the discovery of trash. Large and small bits carefully captured by the slimy-handled grabbing stick that were then added to those bags lovingly packed for our hike. Plastic, paper, bottles, tennis balls, even one size nine women's shoe. Piece by piece, our kids picked up trash even while balancing alarmingly close to deep, rushing, cold river water, they picked up trash. They didn't get it all. They couldn't. They knew they couldn't get it all, and they still kept picking up every piece that they could reach. They did their part ever how small it might have seemed to work to heal the earth that we continue to harm with our waste. And they delighted in that work. My friends, even if our youth don't realize it yet, this is what it looks like to discover faith in regular life. To know the difference between faith and certainty. To respond with kindness in the face of overwhelming circumstances. Our youth had no idea. But their diligence, their delight in their inevitably incomplete task touched my heart on this hike. They broke through the familiar and awakened a fresh view of the power of God's kindness that rests in each of us, and I'm grateful for their witness. In her poem, Kindness, Naomi Shehab Nye expands on the truth that our youth reminded me of when she wrote, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted on and carefully saved, all this must go so that you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead at the side of the road. You must see how this could be you. How he, too, was someone who journeyed through the night with plans in the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you can see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the street to look at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow 
or a friend. So let us continue to walk. When we feel overwhelmed, let our hearts be opened and our ears be opened to the stories of pain that we and our neighbors live each day. When our instinct is to soothe these realities with the language of joy and love, help us share that burden together instead. Let us continue in kindness because our small acts of kindness become radical acts of defiance that empower us to stand for and build the world that we all need. And even though many might say it will never be enough, let us keep breaking bread together and keep making more and more room for everyone at God's table because in the midst of all the pain of our world, that is the only thing that really makes sense.